This is P.S. You're Wrong, the podcast where we talk trash about the things people love to hate and hate to love. And we're your hosts, Shelby and Matt. I was, I was trying to do, a, think of like a good joke to lead in with this, but there, it was truly such, so many things going on, I couldn't, uh, <laughs> I couldn't You couldn't pick an accent to mimic. Yes. Or, uh... <laughs> well, can we just talk for briefly, is this... Angelina Jolie's actual voice because this is the what? same voice that she's doing in the Maleficent movies and I'm like it sounds like an affect but then I was like maybe this is just how she sounds but I swear she did not used to sound this sort of like stilted and like high I think that's her acting I don't like, know Eng- like I don't know I mean yeah maybe it is more of like her nondescript foreign accent you know because I feel like fairy tales you always end up skewing british um and so maybe this was a similar vibe where she's like oh well, i'm a ethereal creature like from no country so what voice would i have <laughs> um but yeah no there were a lot of choices across the board on this um we we're talking about eternals which is the newest marvel film to come out um long awaited I think it was meant to come out in 2020 or was it meant for summer of 2021? Um, I'm not sure the original date on this. I think probably it was meant for 2021, uh, but I'm not sure because she shot it at the same time as Nomadland. (laughs) Chloe Zhao did the director who won the Oscar for best director and picture for (laughs) Nomadland last year. So I would think that this would have had more post-production stuff. So it would have probably come out after Nomadland. Yeah. Um, well, we're in. We're deep into phase four of Marvel now. I don't know. I don't keep track of phases. I don't, I don't think know we're that deep breakdown. into phase four. Well, with the shows, I mean, and yes. like, there's there's all this mythical world building of the multiverse and things falling apart and messes being made, um, and so. Because what was the last Marvel movie? Oh, Shang-Chi. Yeah, Shang-Chi. And then Black Widow, but that was sort of like, well, it was phase (laughs) four, but it was basically phase three. Yeah. Well, Um, I... Yes, but WandaVision and the Loki show. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, And don't forget Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Oh, yes, that's true. And there's an end on the Hawkeye (laughs) show coming out, which I have to watch for work. So I was like, oh, goody. (laughs) Oh, I'm glad it's not just me forcing your hand anymore. Uh, but I do apologize because I'm not that excited about that one. But I want to hear your thoughts on this because you're not a Marvel fan. You like Shang-Chi. Um, you were okay with Black Widow or you didn't like it. I was fine with Black Widow. Yeah. You loved, you loved Endgame for a Marvel movie. I did love Endgame. So um, this one, where are we putting it? So this is interesting for me <laughs> okay. because... As we know, and I have discussed ad nauseum on the podcast, I hate superhero movies because they usually follow a very strict pattern. Um, I like the X-Men movies. And I think part of the reason why I liked Endgame so much is that they were really, they were movies with superheroes in them, but they were not the classic superhero movies. The format was very different. So 
with Eternals, because it's about these beings that are have been around for thousands of years, and the film is, uh, you know, following all of them through this time like through all of these time periods i found myself much more interested like i was not bored in this movie at all because i liked the flashbacks i liked that there were all of these different characters i liked that yes there was a bad guy but it sort of like wasn't at the same time you know it wasn't like like jake gyllenhaal is the bad guy out to kill someone it was sort of like is the bad guy in the team like there's these demigorgon things that we're trying to kill <laughs> deviants okay deviants. um so i honestly did quite enjoy this in comparison wow. to other marvel movies i've seen just because i felt like it was different and not something that i had seen before and i kind of liked the mental exercise of like trying to uh like piece all of this together and then also as someone who is has more of a historical literary bent to him i liked kind of how they were in these various time periods throughout history and i thought that like where they popped up and sort of the things that were happening were interesting um so i left the theater thinking wow this was like i would say probably (laughs) like top 10 marvel movies for me just like in interest level because i wasn't bored during it and i didn't really like know what was happening um then I sort of like as the next couple days progressed and I was talking to other people, they're like, oh, yeah, that movie's bad. Everybody hated it. And I was sort of like, what? Why? <laughs> and then I went and was looking, reading the reviews and I was like, OK, yes, actually, a lot of this didn't really make sense. <laughs> These characters were sort of flimsy. This oh, was, so it sort was of a reverse. It, um, oh, dang it. What's the Christopher Nolan movie you ended up oh, loving? Oh, <laughs> Yes, you were swayed tenet. the other way. <laughs> well, here's the thing. I still would say that I liked this movie and yeah. that I enjoyed it. And like when we get to the end of year rankings, it probably will be higher than Black Widow <laughs> will be just because yeah. I w- and did enjoy it more. But now looking at it, I can see how, okay, yes, there's a lot. Like because it's trying to do so much, it ended up not doing a bunch of it well. Yeah. And there are things that just sort of don't make sense really. <laughs> um, but I also think that I was uh, swayed by just how much I liked the cast because I think yeah. everybody in this is someone who I like in other things. And so to see them all on screen together with Richard Madden and Gemma Chan and Brian Tyree Henry, I was you know, just sort of like thrilled with the interactions. Um, right. So I don't know. I I liked it. Did you hate it? I wouldn't say hate. Like I went into it knowing that people were kind of miffed. It, it kind of had one of those situations where it was, I also what's saw it, it called? on Thursday opening night. So, yeah, I, wow. so I feel like I was ahead of the, <laughs> yeah. the pack. Unfortunately, I've seen too much discourse on this movie on TikTok, I think. So it's been weeks of people being like, give it a chance type thing because it was review bombed on Rotten Tomatoes from a lot of people who one hate the LGBTQ representation and two, you know, there's a lot of diversity in the film and three, it's a women led and female directed. So it's like, there was a lot that led a lot of hateful people to be like, this is garbage, trash, trash, trash. And so it was hard to suss out, well, what's an actual review? Like what do people who I respect actually think about it? And I feel like 
what I, so I walked, I went into it being like, well, maybe it will actually be really good. Cause some people I liked really liked it, but then some people I liked really didn't like it. And I was like, I walked away feeling like it was just okay. Like I wasn't mad about it. I didn't feel as bothered by it as I have with like Thor 2 or even Doctor Strange, like some of these other Marvel movies that I thought were boring and uninteresting and kind of weird. This one, I was I was kind of bored. I was I was feeling like it was spread way too thin. Everyone was spread way too thin. And so the whole plot just kind of felt like confusing i literally physically could not understand what the like head god was saying any given time i don't know if there was some issue with my oh, theater uh, speakers or whatever his name yeah, was. yeah but he had the like classic like all-knowing godly mm-hmm. voice and he was like rah, 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 rah. and i was like wait sir can you enunciate please um and so overall i was like it was too long and yet too short. And so I felt like it, I walked away and I was like, I, I'd probably give that like a, like a C or a B minus. It did feel like it would have been a better series. Mm, interesting. Than a movie. Like, I, I mean, I don't, uh, like if she I, dug into it, really dug into it. Yeah. I could well, see that. I don't know if like digging into it necessarily, like, <laughs> But but there were there were so many characters and it was yes. over such a long span of time that I could have seen a version of this. I mean, and obviously they're doing these net or these Disney Plus shows, yeah. where it's like an eight episode thing, and you do get to spend more time with the individual characters and also get more of like the backstory because some of the stuff that happened in this and the <laughs> characters' relationships were like abrupt, and yeah. I feel like if we had had a whole episode with some of them. <laughs> we would have understood it more um it's tough to do the flashbacks when you're covering you know ten thousand or i don't know seven thousand centuries i guess i don't it was a lot the i i also think now that you know you brought up the sort of like diversity aspect of it that that was another thing that i was excited about going into it and was refreshing watching and I For think sure. even without really realizing it made me like the movie more because I'm like, oh, there's a Asian woman who is the lead and we're getting an LGBT plot line. And so like those kind of things like made me more excited than watching Thor, or a Captain America movie. <laughs> yeah. Did, even though I, they weren't really things that I was necessarily clocking as we went along, but we're just exciting we i don't know how we would do this because i have not seen all the marvel movies and will not be going back to watch the ones <laughs> i haven't seen but i do feel like it would be interesting to do a podcast ranking them um, hey you did a whole buzzfeed article ranking them so i don't know why that would stop you you know i mean true but <laughs> yeah i feel like it's like it was disappointing in the sense that I was rooting for it, right? Like I, like you said, I liked a lot of the stars. Um, Catherine Zhao obviously is a talented director. It was interesting to see one of those more Artur, you know, like highbrow directors mm-hmm. take a swing at something so commercial. Um, and it definitely did feel like, like let's talking about the directing, I guess the, the cinematography, the uh, shooting of it itself. I do feel like I appreciated the artistry of it more than you get in something generic, like Dr. Strange, where it's just, you know, uh, fight scenes. It's pretty like, 
there's no style to it that you can pick out. It's not like if you froze a frame, you'd be like, oh yeah, that's definitely a, uh, you know, whatever the director of Doctor Strange yeah. is. It, it's just, that feels like a very polished, like, you know, uh, your go-to action flick. This definitely had style is she wanted to shoot in these gorgeous you know vistas it was mostly shot on location so you know it wasn't all green screen like you get in a lot of in-game movies well there wasn't a lot of action necessarily so (laughs) you didn't need all that green screen because they weren't on other planets they were just in they're just touring the world around the world zipping around (laughs) day by day um and so i think i appreciated that and there's been a lot of talk about like oh what was she allowed to do like was it worth was that a worthwhile experience for her like all that sort of stuff because you know you compare this to something like nomadland and there's obvious differences like you're answering to a very large board of people who have very specific needs for you to meet and I think it was like ultimately a good, like a good job on her part. The problem always came back to the storyline and the fact that you had, what is it? Eight main characters um, who all needed to have their one, two, three, four. Yeah. I think there's eight of them. Ten. Ten. Yeah. There's 10. (laughs) There's 10 celestials to answer to. And they all have to have their own storyline. They have to have their overlapping interactions. And it just all started to feel a little bit like a, a badly scripted play where you're just you're just meant to accept that these people have this chemistry or these people have this relationship or this energy and you don't really get any meat off the bones of it. And so that was the more frustrating part. Like, I, It's an interesting project for her to take on. I, I wonder what it would have been like to watch her do something smaller like Captain Marvel, like not smaller in scope, but just characters and um, people you're meant to follow. Cause this just ended up feeling like, Oh, it was too much. (laughs) Well, the, it, this wasn't written by her. No, Um, you know, it's, it's so hard with these Marvel movies to kind of pick apart who is at fault because yes, she's the director and her name is on it, but all of the script and everything has to be approved by Kevin Feige and the Marvel team and Disney, you know, the screenplay, it looks like she was a writer on it, but then there's also three other writers. The story is based on something else. It's based on a comic, you know, like she wasn't a producer on the thing. So there's just so many different aspects that you're like, yeah. well, maybe she had a different version of this, or maybe she wanted to do this. Also, I'm assuming that probably a lot of these characters will pop up in other movies down the road. So some of the stuff that we're getting here, you know, isn't even necessarily <laughs> important for this movie, but they're like, okay, you need to put this in because he's actually going to be in, you know, whatever, Captain Strange 4. And so we have to set up this character because he's going to be doing something else later. Yeah. Uh, so with these Marvel movies, I do not blame Chloe Zhao for this not necessarily doing well. I feel like she yeah. probably did what she was supposed to do, did what was asked of her got the nice paycheck now she can go off and make another nomad land and you know <laughs> we can judge her on that base rather than on this 
Yeah, no, I mean, and this film has done well. It hasn't crashed and burned, it, even though it's sitting at a sad 43% for a Marvel movie on Rotten Tomatoes. It's still like grossing money worldwide. Like, obviously, the huge cast, the talk of it all, the um, attention it's been given has been paying off. Um, but I guess getting into the, the plot of it all, um, to set the scene for those who have yet to see it, <laughs> basically, the 10 Eternals are sent to Earth to um, kill off the invasive deviants, these sort of monster species that live on planet Earth. They're not supposed to interfere with human history, though. So they appear in 5000 BC, spend the next few millennia murdering the deviants, uh, building up Babylon, (laughs) enjoying human life, realizing there's so much value here. Like, what a joy that their mission is to protect these people. Fast forward to today, they've all broken up into their sort of they had a big fight in 1500 <laughs> AD 1500 and uh, they've decided to split ways. And that means that they're scattered across the country. And the movie sort of becomes this pretty uh, laborious process of gathering the team, so to speak. Um, you know, it starts in London, Jim and Chan um, uh, plays Cersei. Um, they all have names <laughs> that are pulled from mythology, yeah. but then spelled differently or tweaked in some way so that it's <laughs> not that. It's like her name is Cersei, but it's spelled S-E-R-S-I rather yes. than the C-I-R-I-E like it normally. Like, I-, I was like, I know that must be some kind of comic book thing, but I was like, this is just frustrating. Like, honestly, <laughs> yeah. I hate this. There's like Icarus with the K and Athena, not Athena. And it's all like... Yeah, it it became like there was a mythology there, but we weren't really invited to explore it except for passing comments because that's all this movie could afford to be is sort of passing jokes and and in jokes with the team. Like, I I think that was what was most frustrating is that there were pieces that I liked. There were people that were interesting, but it all felt sort of fake. And I didn't necessarily believe a single relationship within this family dynamic. And, you know, we've seen... We've seen ensemble movies before, like the Avengers, the well, Endgame, all of it. But I think that's the difference is that with the Avengers movies, most of those people have already had films yeah. to set them up. So you're coming into Avengers and you know most of the characters. Like, sure, maybe Hawkeye didn't have his own movie, but at least, <laughs> you know, yeah. we we kind of know who they are. So there's not that much heavy lifting. This is basically an Avengers movie, but they're trying to give backstory to all 10 of the Avengers <laughs> in the scope of the film. Yeah. And so, yeah, we, the first, I don't know, two thirds of the movie are them just slowly collecting the various <laughs> Eternals and getting backstories on them and sort of the history of everything that they've been through. But there's not really that much action aside from the fact that, oh, there there are these deviants that are kind of attacking people. <laughs> we're sort of killing them off. They're uh, hunting the Eternals now and there's some... I don't, yeah, they they changed the game. It was never really explained why they were back. Well, um, no, it was because they were uh, caught in the ice. Oh, right, right, right. Yes. Global warming. The Tomorrow the War. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it was a crossover the we weren't War, expecting. Dear Lord, what, a, <laughs> what a horrible film. Um, yeah, Chris Pratt was waiting down there in Alaska being like, hey, guys, <laughs> I'm going to solve this. All the people just falling in the sky and breaking <laughs> yeah. their legs on the cement like whoops yeah um but yeah i mean 
I guess I guess breaking down the characters. Let's do that, right? Because yeah. it is sort of driven by these. Yeah, well, and they have different plot lines. Yeah, sort of together. So the central leader, the the main character, is Jim Chan, who plays Cersei, who's living in London with one of the other Eternal Sprite, who's this eternal little child. Girl. Yeah, yeah, just a sad child. Um, <laughs> single tear. They, all, they also all. It's interesting because they are Eternals, so thus they don't die yeah but also they can die it's just that selma hayek's eternal character's power is like healing yes the rest of them have powers that are (laughs) dubious to explain and somewhat useful somewhat not useful Gemma chan can like turn one substance into another substance yeah and the sprite character but not not sentient beings that's yes. established at the get-go but then it yes. changes because yes. reasons <laughs> yeah because because well now she's in charge now she gets yeah. the power or whatever <laughs> power. um yeah and then sprite can is like a shapeshifter but can also shape like change other people's shapes and also like make duplicates um yes icarus is like a superman he can fly and shoot lasers out of his eyes um uh gilgamesh is like a I guess you'd say a Hulk type. He's super strong. Thena is Angelina Jolie and she's an epic swordsman fighter. Uh, Druig controls people with his mind. Um, Makari is the speedster of the group. And yeah, there's um, just too many. And yeah. Fastos is the techie. He can yes, build he can things. Make invention. <laughs> yeah, that that's the it's like, what is this exactly? And then um Kumail's character. Man, he, what does he do? He, oh, he, he shoots. Can, like, shoot he lasers shoots laser beams. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> Love that for him. Um, but anyways, it, we're in London. Um, Cersei and Sprite are living it up. She, Cersei has a boyfriend played by another uh, Game of Thrones Game. character. Yeah, it's funny because Kit Harington is the like human boyfriend, and then Richard Madden <laughs> is the Eternals boyfriend. They are. Man. Obviously, the stepbrothers oh. from Game of Thrones. So there's that weight in there, and there is a mo- there was a moment in there where one of the lines was some something Game of Thronesy. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I remember thinking like, okay, that's clearly in the script because of the two of them. Um, but yeah. I will yeah. say, you see, you see them on the same screen together, and you're like, man, Richard Madden is an attractive human being. <laughs> he is. He's and- just like flawless. Well, and there's and the, there's the whole uh, plot line like in real life where I th- am fairly certain that he's gay, but he oh. has not come out as gay. He's had like various friendships with these younger men who have like lived in his house. Oh, so it's but, like the plot of the other two with the gay fishing. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> like- yes. I mean that we know he hasn't admitted, so yes. he's dangling but, that carrot. But there's been a couple of instances now where, because this movie ta- has gay characters, I think that these reporters are sort of like asking him questions mm. about the gay character in the movie, sort of like, like uh, you "Would think? you like to, <laughs> you know, sort of answer this?" And there's one interview clip that was really funny where the interviewer is asking him and Selma Hayek about like LGBT representation. And you can tell that the interviewer wants Richard Mann to answer the question, <laughs> but Selma Hayek, like I think either 
because she's nice or because she's trying to protect him or what, like sort of jumps in and is like, as a non-gay Mexican woman, <laughs> I think blah blah blah. And it's like, okay, Selma. I like, honestly love Selma. She seems so nice. She's incredible. Um, but I feel like probably everybody on the set and in Hollywood like knows right. that Richard Mann is gay, but he's just not out yet for whatever mm, okay, reason. Okay. Well, so. he gets to he gets to partake in the first sex scene in a Marvel movie. <laughs> yeah. So it's a blink and you miss it moment that really caught me off guard. I'll be honest. I was like, they're like, oh, I love you forever. And they get married. And I was like, oh, cute. And then it just cuts to them boning in the in the wilderness. <laughs> I, I was like, wow. Like, hmm. <laughs> these are two very attractive yeah. people. I must say I am feeling it. This So this trio then. Is kind of the main trio of the yes, film. The the leaders of the pack. And so you have this whole plot line where Richard Mann and Gemma Chan used to be in a relationship. They're not anymore. Gemma Chan has a new boyfriend. Like, but will she get back together with him? You sort of see the beginnings of their love story. But then in one of the film's oddest choices, that even on my first go-around, I was like, uh-huh. Is that you learn that Sprite, the <laughs> child, has been secretly in love with Richard Madden all along. In one of the most heavy-handed references I've ever seen. Yes. They just like had to spell it out for us. The character literally goes like, have you ever read Peter Pan? <laughs> you're like Tinkerbell. You're in love with Peter, but you know you could never have him. And it's like, okay, we get it. Thank you. Well, in that line, I was like, is is that the thing with Tinkerbell? I was like, I didn't realize that Tinkerbell was yeah, in love with Tinkerbell's Peter Pan. always jealous of Wendy, and in Hook, she lays it out very clearly that she wishes she could be a normal human sized girl because she's always wanted to get with Peter. You need to you need to examine some more. <laughs> I I've only seen Hook once. Um, you don't catch Julia it- Roberts and. Not hope yes. there's some sexual chemistry. Okay. Mm. Uh, okay. I did read the book too at one point. Anywho. <laughs> I don't know if it's in the book, but. So then so then there's a whole, yeah. So then there's this whole like kind of romantic triangle between the three of them um, that comes into play later on. It's just a weird interaction because yes, she is a child, but also she's like 5,000 years old. So yeah. you're like, I don't know how to feel about this. Like. Yeah, I think it was smart that they didn't like really dive into that chemistry or kind of try to assert it more because it was like if you didn't have that conversation, you'd be kind of taken aback by how the reveal later in the movie. But I also did feel like it was kind of lazy because that's kind of what I was getting at is I liked that this is like, oh, a family. And the whole first half of the show is like, isn't it fun to be all back together and we all have each other's back and we're all hoorah, like on the same. And then it turns out like, oh no, just like any family, this is very dysfunctional. There's a lot of people who have favorites or get along better with other people on the team. And then once the dam breaks, it's like people are just cutthroat going at it. Like it turns out there's not a lot of love there. Um, and I thought that was interesting. I thought that was more fun than like the workplace drama you get in <laughs> Avengers where it's like, you know, they literally show up, they do their job, and then they never really speak to each other outside of it, according to canon. Um, and so I feel like there could have been more energy around that family dynamic and kind of exploring that. But it was more focused on these sort of like, oh, 
here's a here's a love montage of Cersei and Icarus. Isn't that fun? And then you suddenly have these flashbacks to like, oh, here's Gilgamesh and he's protecting Thena, but we don't think it's sexual because who would be attracted to him? I don't know. There was a lot that was happening that was kind of weird. Yeah. And all the relationship, there was just lots of different dynamics that weren't explained yeah. where, again, I think it would have worked better as a television yeah. show. Or, or you could have just cut some of these characters. Like there's 10 Eternals. I don't know that we needed all of them for this plot line. And I I don't know. I obviously don't know what Marvel's plans are down the road. So who knows if if they're, all of these people are going to be important to things. Yeah. But, I mean, they killed off, what, two of them in this? Uh, yeah, Ajax dies right at the top. Yeah. Um, that's what sort of brings this all forward. They decide to gather because... Because Cersei gets the inner knowledge now. She's the one linked to their higher power. And she learns that, oh, actually, you guys weren't here to protect humanity. What's going to happen is we needed them to grow enough. Like, we needed more population on this earth because now a big eternal, I don't (laughs) remember what they're called, is going to be born and he's going to absorb all of life on, oh yeah, celestial. They're going to absorb all of life in this little globe and then go make millions of other worlds. Um, And so it's like another one of those like Thanos questions where it's like, well, is this good? Is this bad? Like, is it worthy or is it not? Like, can we justify saving this one planet if it means the potential other planets will never be created type thing and the balance of the universe will be <laughs> upset. Um, but what was interesting is that that was just a through line that was kind of casually mentioned every now and then between characters. But really this movie was meant to be like a, you know, your classic, like sort of serious, sort of fun Marvel vibe where you get to go on all these trips to meet everyone and see what they were doing and catch up on all the gossip and like blah, 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 blah. And it was just like, it took place over seven days, they announced because you get a flashback that kind of gives you the timeline. And they spend like at least six of them traveling because they go from, (laughs) I like looked it up. They go from London to South Dakota um, and then from South Dakota, they go to India to pick up Kumail, who is <laughs> probably my favorite character. Um, then they go from India to Australia, uh, Australia to the Amazon, Amazon back to Chicago um, to pick up Fastos. And then they go to Iraq, where they find their spaceship again and take that to the Indian Ocean. So, like, all in all, that's quite a bit of travel time. <laughs> Yeah, that's a lot of plane flying that we did not see. (laughs) Yeah, it was like, honestly, a movie in real time, except travel was just happening. Well, and none of them were like teleporters either. I feel like that would have helped the issue if they could like apparate or something, but we didn't. Yeah, Uh, I mean, Icarus could fly. So there was maybe one trip where he could technically carry Gemma to Chicago or something. But I don't know how long, you know, an eternal can fight with her. Oh, yeah. So there would have been the three <laughs> of them. He's just like bulking up, man. He's ready. Um, but yeah, were there favorite character storylines that you liked or characters, period? Uh, well, I like Gemma Chan. Mm-hmm. The, I guess let's get to the spoilers of this yeah. all because I think it's going to make it more easy to talk about. So spoilers here. <laughs> I... Like, almost immediately knew that Richard Madden was the bad guy. And that (gasps) something, somehow he had done something wrong. One, because I felt like 
just from watching movies, the relationship between Gemma Chan and Kit Harington had like really no flaws in its early presentation. So I was like, this, like, these are the two people who are going to end up together. Like they are very sweet and a cute couple. And I was like, it just, I Mm. can't, unless Kit Harington dies for some reason. And even then I can't really see her ending up with Richard Madden. And Richard Mann was also, his character was kind of like brusque and forceful sometimes. So I felt like, okay, she has to end up with Kit Harrington. So therefore she's not ending up with Richard Madden, but we're getting all of this romantic backstory. <laughs> I was like, it, he has to be a bad, what like he has to be the bad guy. That was my <laughs> yeah, thought processing. Train of and also I feel like I've seen enough movies to just kind of be like, okay, uh, we're not getting we're not getting all of the details here, which means that some of the details must be like secret for a, some reason or another. Mm. And that's probably because someone has betrayed them, you know? Right. Like it just, the pieces just didn't fit together. And I was like, okay, well it has to be Richard Madden. Who's the bad one. Yeah. Cause that would make sense. Uh, so I didn't necessarily love him. I thought that Kumail Nanjani's character was very funny because he's the Bollywood <laughs> yeah. actor who's, you know, like the rich one and is the most entertaining. And then he has this sidekick who's his what, valet. Yeah. <laughs> uh, who is also filming like a documentary about mm-hmm. him. Yeah. And I thought the two of them were definitely some of the most entertaining parts of the movie. Yeah. I also though felt like if we thought this plot was too complicated, they could easily have been eliminated. No, he was the most dynamic. I felt like he was having the most fun yeah, but he in did the not, movie. But he, I mean, I loved him, like give him a movie, <laughs> but he, his, he did not do anything to the plot yeah. and he's not even there at the end <laughs> of the movie, which I was like, why? Like what, what, what yeah. purpose did it serve to have him in most of this and then not be there for like the final fight scene. I was like, was there a scheduling conflict? That he no, I it? actually, I looked into that too, because I felt like that was another thing where it's like, there's sort of this aside where he, he takes, cause the team sort of split on, do we let, do we follow our original mission or do we go rogue and save planet earth? And, um, uh, Icarus, Richard Madden's character is obviously the more, um, what's the word? Like, faithful of the crew and he's like mission or bust basically and um Kumail's character is like hey I'd follow you man like and so they tried to put this through line where it's like oh he's just like a fanboy of Icarus like he's just loyal to Icarus but then he gives the speech where he's like I actually agree with like our leader but I refuse to shed any, I refuse to hurt you. I refuse to shed any blood in this. And the director herself actually talked about this. And I think that's what's interesting is seeing how she saw the moment because you're right to me, I was confused and it was sort of like, oh, so now he's gone. And then he just comes back and it's never really like addressed or explained. <laughs> it's just like, oh yeah, I missed that fight, but like catch me about it. Um, but she thought it was the most important part of the film. Like that's how she described it. Is She thought it was the most emotionally telling moments in the film, the bravest thing a character does in the movie, because she's saying that he, he, he wanted, he didn't believe in something, but he was still not willing to like sacrifice his own goodness to stand up for that. Like he was meant to be an opposing figure to Richard Madden's um, sort of devotion 
who was willing to go and hurt anyone in all things to do what he thought was most important. Whereas Kumail's character is meant to be like, oh, I don't agree, but I'm not going to like fight to force my beliefs on other people. <laughs> no. Yeah. I know. I didn't get if So that, that was like, she was going for a serious moment there. And I don't think it really stuck the landing. No, I did not think we needed him at all in this film for the plot purposes. Yeah. And I think it also was a struggle for him to deliver that sort of, you know, quote unquote, emotional choice because throughout the film, he'd been the sort of comedic relief and he used his whole existence on planet earth to be sort of this self-serving, you know, self-aggrandizing like generational superstar, (laughs) Mm -hmm. which was funny and like good for him. But I think it kind of made it hard to believe that he's suddenly like his motivations were suddenly so like pure and, and almost like elevated beyond everyone else's because he took the high road of not fighting, but it was sort of like, wait, what? (laughs) And then I also don't think that we needed either of the Druig character, the like mind, the mind controller or the speedy girl, uh, Makari. Like don't need they're the Eternals. They're there, you know, like, right. But (laughs) if I was trying to make this a more streamlined movie, neither of them really have that much going on. And it's sort of like Druig's whole thing. He has a whole plot line where he's, like I don't like that the humans are fighting each other and we just have to step aside. So I'm going to control their minds or control the minds of a small group of them yeah. in the Amazon so that they so have a cult like a, a better life. Yeah. A cult leader, which is another philosophical question, but not the philosophical question of the movie. So I think <laughs> it's just like a tangent that yes, like if we had a TV show it would be interesting to get into, but given the time and space that we have i thought it seemed too much and then he seems to have some kind of close friendship with makari like they're often seen as a pair but it's we don't really know why or Man, like that's do they sexual just get tension along? you could like cut it with a knife was it yeah but like <laughs> were they I, and so she's deaf yeah um she is the one who can run super quickly but then for whatever reason she's just like left to guard the spaceship for thousands of years and like can't leave i don't think she chose i don't think she was guarding i think she was just like oh i just want to go home like i'll just kill time it was weird though because she had like gathered stuff and i was like wait where's the entrance to this underground why is she getting like sun trips in here and why didn't she go and find Druig if they were such good friends and Druig himself seemed to be like I, I don't know I don't agree with the choice to you know uh, enslave people's minds for your own you know idea of what's good and it seemed like they were critiquing him but then it ultimately was never really addressed and he became like one of the favorites or whatever and a lot of people watching the movie are like big fans of him and i'm like why (laughs) he's definitely got one of those ugly hot things going on (laughs) i don't even mean physically i mean i did not like his vibe i i mean if you're gonna oh yeah no it was very cult leadery but i think don't you think that the movie where you pull the three of them out so then you just have seven (laughs) eternals which is like a a number that we like in things and Salma Hayek dies early. The other one dies. It's like, I think that's much more manageable. You cut out a couple of stops and the early travel, you get to spend more time with the characters that we have. I mean, 
I get what you're saying, but I will say in defense of Makari, I think she was an example of like a really well done speedster. You know, one of these superpowers where it's like usually what happens is you have like X-Men, you have freaking Justice League and how they show that they're moving fast is they all everything slows down. And then this guy just walks through and he's like, oh, I'll move a bullet here. Yeah, like, we've seen that. It's like blah, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And it never seems like a very useful skill. It never seems very useful to fight. I mean, even in Marvel previously, the Wanda's brother is a speedster and he gets shot by a bullet somehow. I don't know. It doesn't make sense, but I liked watching her scenes because it was like you could see the practical ways one could use that skill to not only save people, which she does a lot, but also fight because it really does come down to a physical altercation between her and Icarus, who is like the Superman of the group and shouldn't be able to be you know, hurt or killed. And he technically isn't, but she's really able to keep him on his toes by doing these interesting sort of like speedster tricks and fights and spinning things up. And I thought that was kind of the more fun elements of the final showdown. Um, Because like, you know, watching Thena go around, like using her magic gold light sword, it was just like, okay. And like watching someone punch the ground. I'm like, okay. Like, cool but i liked makari yeah i mean i liked all three of them (laughs) right they were just all given extra plot lines um because then we also have the thena plot line angelina jolie's character where there's (laughs) i don't know what was happening here well there's this whole (sighs) other mechanic where the eternals are basically you find out that the celestials who are these beings who create worlds like basically have a planet as like an egg uh that a new celestial is going to be in they have to send these deviants down there to somehow like get the world kind of ready but then they're gonna kill off the humans and we need the humans in order to to make the <laughs> celestial grow. So yeah. then we have to send the Eternals down there to kill off the Deviants so that the humans can grow so that then eventually the Celestials will be fine. But the Eternals, after they've done their job, kind of come back to the planet and get their brainwashed so that they can go to the new planet not remembering the fact that they've done this before. Yeah. Angelina Jolie somehow or another has a malfunction where she sort of can kind of remember things or things kind of keep coming into her mind. And whatever that happens, she then tries to kill the other Eternals, which doesn't really make any sense at all. But She's trying to free them from the prison of I guess. I know, eternity. <laughs> so then Gilgamesh, who is the strong Eternal is kind of tasked with babysitting her because he's the only one who is strong enough to sort of keep her in check when she's in one of these frenzy moods. Uh, And this happens throughout the movie where various times she sort of goes off and starts trying to attack somebody and is very, uh, like, unreliable. Yeah. And it's weird that Angelina Jolie is this role like it's i i was like Wait, why why well, her specifically she's just such a huge actress obviously she does not do that many projects anymore of acting yeah because she's not that good well 
but she's won an Oscar and been nominated for it. Like, I don't think she's done that much stuff that's good recently, but I think she does have a certain level of talent. But anyways, she's, she's not in that many movies. Yeah. So I think it's interesting that they pitched her and we're like, do you want to be in a Marvel movie? You're going to be like one of 10 superheroes and you're going to be the one who's sort of like having mental breakdowns, but then is fighting with like invisible sort. Like, I just am interested why of all the roles that she must be offered that this is the one she picked having not been in anything for three years. Huh. Interesting. I mean, I feel like this was one of the meteor ones because she had to be the one who flips and flops and has the emotional range and goes from sad about her choices to ready to murder someone to, you know, mourning to freaking out to all that stuff. So there's definitely a lot of facial expressions happening there. And in a movie with this lineup, that's, you know, that's screen time, baby. Like, I think ultimately this was a project where she does stand out as one of the main characters well the only thing that i was thinking is i wondered what they sort of promised to her in this because it's a smaller role in this but she lives through the movie (laughs) so theoretically she will have more maybe she just wanted to do the movie i mean and i'm sure it was a decent amount of money but like i don't know i'm just interested i was more really frustrated by the cowardice in allowing her and Gilgamesh to have this friendship, this energy, this centuries long um, devotion to one another and not make it romantic. Not because I don't value like a good, you know, uh, boy girl friendship, but because it felt kind of like, I don't know. It felt kind of iffy because, you know, uh, oh, dang it. What's his name? I just wrote down Gilgamesh, but the actor is an, oh Donley. Donley, he's an Asian man, and I think so often, you know, unfortunately, there's a stereotype where the Asian man is emasculated and not really seen as a love interest, and that's been something that people are fighting. And like, you know, we got we get hottie hotties with the hottie bodies like Shang Chi, and we get uh, Henry Golding. But I feel like it would have been so easy to make this a romantic one that would have then had more of an emotional punch for us lazy watchers to care when they're then, you know, sadly uh, separated when he dies. And it's meant to be sort of the emotional piece that finally heals her, where in the final fight, she's able to recognize that he's gone. And I don't know why, but the deviant is able to mimic him and that's enough for her to realize like no that's not you i don't know it's something about their relationship fuels her enough that it cures her and she's able to come back to herself and save the day and really have an Arya stark (laughs) pretty gnarly um and i just feel like they had chemistry it was Uh. all there i wasn't like i i was like everyone else in this team is hooking up like why not them i disagree with that i Mm. think that while yes i'm sure that in the however many thousands of years that these people have been together they've definitely like slept with each other and that's just an aspect that we're not going to get in a marvel movie is casual hookups but i i don't love the world in which this becomes twilight where it's all of these (laughs) pairs of eternal people in these weird long-standing relationships and i also do think that we don't get enough 
representation of like a male female friendship that is just a friendship i think that there's definitely a idea and culture that if you're an adult male you can't have adult female friends the because you're only interested in sex and like if you're married or have a significant other you can't have another friend because that just means that you secretly want to right. be them the entire time so i'm always fine that it's the asian character like why not do that with druid like why have that well i think they sort of did i mean mm. if that if that relationship was sexual there was no like there was no kiss on the cheek. There was no anything that we got Love from nuzzling. that one. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there was. To, there was even a comment amongst them that was like, "Oh, when did this happen?" Like type thing, which was yeah, weird. I don't know the yeah the whole again the relationships I felt confused by. I could not figure out like who like were they close with it like because yeah theoretically these people have been with each other for thousands of years everyone else is dying and they're yeah. alive that they should all have very intimate like close relationships with every other single person on the team yeah i mean like like if you work if you're co-workers with somebody for that long you have some kind of like for you know two years you have some kind of relationship with them that is personal between just the two of you even if you aren't necessarily close just because of the amount of time that you have to spend together and so yeah it was bizarre kind of the different relationship dynamics that we got um yeah okay let's talk about brian tyree henry oh yes and the gay plot line of it all <laughs> yes I love Brian Tyree Henry. I'm always rooting for him. I feel like he hasn't been able to catch the magic that he's had in his moment in If Beale Street Can Talk. That will always and forever be one of my favorite performances. And I was waiting for it here, but I feel like he's just been picking weird roles that kind of, I don't know. It just is like, I don't know. I, I, I was there for the representation, cute, whatever. But I feel like the Hiroshima thing, his like storyline, it felt a little like hokey. I don't know. I think he is good in literally every single thing that he has done. Godzilla. Uh, well, Godzilla, no, like that's a, <laughs> that's a moot point. It's no not his fault. Him. Yeah, <laughs> but like he was good in if Beale Street could talk. I think he was good in Widows. He was good in White Boy Rick. He's very good in Atlanta, which I think mm, a new season yeah. of that is coming out shortly. Um, I I think that he's just. He's not been given like a meaty enough role yeah. to sort of take it. I mean, even if Beale Street could talk, he only has a couple of scenes. I I want for him to have like a leading role or if not a lead, like, you know, sort of yeah. number two, number three on the call sheet, where instead I think he's given things like in this movie where he's great, but he, you know, does he not have up, that like, much two hours time. In. And also, yeah, is the last person to arrive to the party. Yeah. Um, I was ex- very excited to hear that they were going to have a gay plot line. I thought that it was most likely to be a sort of blink and you miss it, like in the Heights right. or like that supposed <laughs> Star gay Wars. couple that was in Star <laughs> Wars. Um, so I was pleasantly surprised when the 
you know, we sort of get this whole sequence where they're at the house with him and his husband and his child. Yeah. And even still, when they introduced him, I was like, huh, is this going to be something where it's like the man is here, but, you know, you can kind <laughs> yeah, of they in, never like you have each to other. Yeah. <laughs> or whatever. But he says, like, husband, there is a kissing scene. And it's very explicit that a lot of his motivations are based on the husband and the child. And then yeah. even at the end of the film, the kind of wrap up sequence sequence is related to the child and the husband as well so i liked that they went in so much to this Mm -hmm. and so much so that a bunch of countries have said like (laughs) we're not going to air this movie because of the gay scenes or we're removing them um but yeah i liked him as a character i thought he was fun the his power of like inventing things was very strange didn't understand it at all (laughs) the (laughs) unimide Yeah, I like what the <laughs> F? but yeah. I liked him and I liked his plot line and I and again he's such a good actor that it's like yeah. his stuff with his kids are really believable his relationships with the other uh Eternals make sense to me like in his dealings with them I I just liked him a lot in this. Yeah, no. I thought it was a really nice moment and really the most humanizing because no one else has really been able to integrate themselves into humanity for obvious reasons. Um, I'd love an explanation of that and really just uh, sit down with the, you know, how do you, how do you do that? Like, how do you admit that you're an eternal? I guess, you know, that's the thing about this world is the whole first part is um, uh, Cersei's boyfriend being like, I think you're magical. And you realize like, oh, yeah, this is a universe where everyone's aware of Thor. Everyone's aware of like monsters, well, aliens. Snap and- yeah. So there's like a lot more open mindedness <laughs> about the situations you find yourself in. Um, and so I kind of appreciated that there wasn't a lot of time spent wasted on like, wait, what's happening? Um, and so, yeah, there were like nice moments where I think that was more fun to watch than hearing them try to explain like the machinations of like, wait, what's going to happen? And what does the universe? Unimind do and how is this working and the whole finale the entire finale around her going to this volcano and like changing it freezing it i don't know what was happening i was like what is going on like this man's rising out of the ocean she like Mm -hmm. freezes him to stone and then and then icarus is trying to kill them all but then ultimately can't and just yeets himself into the sun and i was like what (laughs) there was just like too much happening in the last 40 minutes that i was like i don't understand a single thing here that was the part where i was like this is this feels a bit sloppy (laughs) they're trying to do something with a mind and then they can't and then she has had the power all all do connect and it's like did they need to all be on the same side if it was all going to automatically happen and And then she had enough residual power that she could turn the child (laughs) into a real person whatever she wanted with that yeah i will say though if if I was dating somebody and they were like, oh, I am secretly like eternal. I can't age. I do not think that would be a turnoff for me. I feel like that would, I would be fine with that. You wouldn't start to feel like not only intimidated, but sad that you would die and they wouldn't. That's like a classic issue. That's the, that's the, the tuck everlasting of it all. It's like, wait, well, how I can we have a life if one of us will live forever? I feel like that would be more difficult for the eternal person than for me. It's like, I 
know that you're never going to die. You're going to be here my entire life. Like, I'm not going to have to worry about losing you at any point. You're <laughs> yeah. going to be attractive the entire time. <laughs> so I, so it's like, oh, I mean, I'll be 50 and like still dating a hot, you know, 25 year old or whatnot. But then um, you'll be insecure about being 50 and him realizing like, ugh. I can't deal with this. But I don't think so because he's lived for thousands of years. So it's like, I think he would have a more patient. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like, even if he does, like, even if we do sort of have, like, even if he later is not attracted to me as an older person, it's like, well, all he has to do is like, hang out with me for another 20 years (laughs) and then he can be on to the next person. Like, you know that they're going to be there for your child and be able to, like, support them. I think that I would not be – that that would not phase me. I guess the issue would be is how out are they? Because it's like, oh, are you going to have to move every five years because your neighbors will start questioning it? I think that would be sort of annoying, that that aspect of it. Like, okay, you would have to – at a certain point, start moving or do, you know, high school production, old age <laughs> makeup every day. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I, I think there's pros and cons for sure. It's not that I'd be like, oh no, this is over. But I'd be like, I think it would add problems to the relationship as it progressed. Yeah, I guess so. But I mean, getting to the end of it, it turns out um, Kit Harrington's character might have a little bit more uh, magical... I, I don't know it at all, but in the post credit scenes, it's clear that he's some character named Dane. And I think oh, it ties really? into the comic books. You missed this all? <laughs> yeah, so, I, saw, I mean... At was the, there another c- scene yes, beyond yeah. the, um, uh, the Harry Styles there's one? There's always a mid-credit scene, and then there's a post-credit scene. Oh, my scene. gosh. I can't but be bothered even at the even at this. the end of the movie, like before the credits, he's trying to tell Cersei, like, oh, I yes. actually learned something about Oh, yes. About I have something. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I was intrigued yeah. by that. So it turns out he's like, I really have not looked into it. So it, people of who are fans of the comics or aware of where Marvel is going will mock me for this. But I guess he's some sort of like knight or something. <laughs> he's given a sword at the end and there's a there's a voice in the corner. And it seems unclear if it's coming from a body or like some sort of spirit thing. And it's like, oh, are you ready for this type thing? And so he's clearly a character from the comic books that... Um, Will be the voice able to is maybe. like, jum, yeah. Jum, jum. <laughs> yeah. Are you ready for it? Yeah, exactly. And it's Taylor Swift uh, in that body it. in that nude bodysuit. Yes, Taylor Swift and Harry Styles reuniting for the next Eternals. Can you imagine Harry or Taylor Swift trying to act her way through a Marvel film? Honestly, uh, I mean, I, I, I'd pay to see it. I'd welcome the opportunity. I would also pay the to challenge. see it. I would pay um, to see it. But yeah, no, the other twist is Harry Styles is introduced as uh, Thanos' brother, Eros, who seems to be having more fun and seems ready hot, to be charming. Yeah. yeah. Also, is Thanos dead? Yeah, Thanos is dead. Remember, they okay. beheaded him and then they also murdered him again with the snap. Yes. Okay. Sure. I, <laughs> I, I only saw that movie once, so some of the details I'm foggy on. Yeah. No. Thanos is gone. Unless there's another, you know, in the multiverse, I guess there's tons oh, of yes, variations another, of Yeah. Him. There could be another Thanos yeah. that leaks over. Yeah. Um. So yeah. Where is Marvel going with this? It's unclear. There's a lot of opportunity for it to get weird. Um. I think 
you know, we have Spider-Man that's going to set up more of the multiverse and maybe how that will play into things. But this movie, as it stood, I felt like was just okay. Um, there were some good things, but there was a lot of bad, a lot of weird, a lot of confusing. Here's a question, though. Is this is Marvel's lowest rated movie since I think the second Thor movie. They yeah. have not really missed in such a you know, quote unquote, major way. I think most of their movies recently have either been reviewed positively or at least have been sort of like, nah, it was okay. Do you think that this not doing well will cause them to course correct at all on like perhaps thinking, okay, we need to make these plots like slightly less complicated? Like, do you think that they'll sort of try to circle back to something that's more right. uh, straightforward? I guess we have a multi, we have the Doctor Strange and we have the Spider-Man with the multiverses coming out. So maybe that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. But. I mean, I guess I'm curious, like what actual reviewers were giving it. Like, was it one star or was it just like two, three stars, but then all the bad, like mediocre, all the like pseudo reviewers on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic were bombing it with bad reviews without having seen it. So it's, is it, arguably they could say that, Oh, it's hard to say what actually was liked and it's making money and that's really what it comes down to so i feel like it's not going to make them suddenly be like oh we're abandoning this project and don't want to deal with these famous people we've brought on for this show ever again but i, I don't, don't think know. that they would do that like i don't think they would scrap eternals and be like we're getting rid of these characters because if anything we've seen that they like to sort of kind of try to yeah. reinvent characters who haven't done well in a new way but what I, my question is do we think this will impact the types of stories that they tell mm. where they go okay that was a little too ambitious we were trying too much we need to yeah. go back to something more like a Shang-Chi where it's more of a straightforward like here's a hero here's a villain he, you know right. here are the main five characters rather than something as sprawling as this yeah, interesting. I feel like, I, I guess I don't see that as an issue because I think this is like your classic, you know, laying the groundwork uh, origin story, yeah. mm -hmm. whereas anything else will not be burdened by the same issues. One, because they've, <laughs> they've culled the pack a little bit, um, but two, because they've already done the backstory. So it's like, they could still technically, like any other venture into a new marvel character i feel like they could arguably try you know whatever variation they want because it's like well we can always fix it in the sequel <laughs> right because i think that's something that marvel's aware that it's done successfully is that it has tried to branch out you know pseudo pseudo branch out in the genre um, and kind of diversify its characters and the filmmakers and all that sort of stuff. And so while Black Panther and Guardians of the Galaxy are, you know, technically similar as far as genre and format, there's enough differences that I think that's something people expect with Marvel now is that they're not all meant to be the same, even if they all end up in the same place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Huh, well, we'll have to see what happens with Spider-Man. <laughs> yes. Look at you talking about the future of Marvel. Well, and, and Hawkeye. <laughs> and Hawkeye. Uh, yeah. Well, um, 
this has gone on a little long. Did you have yes. any uh, rapid fire questions you no, were I to think get we through? just I think we just ended here. <laughs> okay. Like the movie, we probably meandered and uh, took our time and uh, the, well, there was too many plot bit. lines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we could have cut at least three of these segments. I think. Um, okay, we'll be back next week. Unclear on exactly what we're talking about, but we will be here. Um, and until then, you can follow us on social media, follow us on Patreon, leave us a review. Um, and yeah, see you guys next week. Bye.